2: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
3: Monday morning, the 25th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The United Kingdom was scheduled to leave the European Union this Friday following a request to Europe for an extension last week. Prime Minister Theresa May will hope to confirm when Brexit will take place and how it might happen in the coming weeks. The earliest possible date now is April 12th. That could move to the 22nd of May or to a date in nine months from now possibly 21 months. It is possible that the stalemate will result in the UK remaining indefinitely but nobody is ruling out the possibility of it crashing out accidentally either. Mrs May meets her cabinet today and she might want to know why some of her ministers spent the weekend playing down a coup as media speculated over her leadership and if there is a bid to ouster and if uh, the verdict on performance comes in the papers, uh, Mrs May will have much room for thought reading the front page of The Sun today. The Sun has dedicated all of its front page to an editorial. The headline is Time's Up Theresa. Checkmate over Brexit. The PM has shown courage but to seal her deal and deliver Brexit. She needs to resign. Theresa May, the Sun says, must announce today that she will stand down as soon as her Brexit deal is approved and Britain is out of the EU. The Sun says this with regret having supported her since before she became Prime Minister, but she has lost the backing of much of the country and now her party let's talk about this with sean defoe our political correspondent good morning sean and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, mrs may obviously under a lot of pressure now
4: yeah well as you summed up there it's all really nice and simple here now <laughs> I feel a situation that we've landed in after last week but she is under a good bit of pressure at the weekend she retreated to to chequers to her country prime minister retreat but had I suppose, a barrage of people from there telling her that she needed to go, and the thinking behind it, you know, there's two strands of thinking in terms of how she goes. One, as the outlined there, is the film that she has lost confidence of the people and that once she gets the steel over the line, she should go. But the other is that among some Brexiteers, the Jacob-Marie Smalls and the Boris Johnsons of the world, their support for this deal may be contingent on it. So there seems to be a thinking that, If Theresa May outlines, right, if you support my deal, I'm going to go in May or I'm going to go in June. if she sets out that timeline, then they will get behind her and support it and allow a true Brexiteer, if you like, to take over for the rest of the trade talks that they would have control of that part. of it. But, but, of course, there's all sorts of dangers even if doing that. So if she's guaranteed that, yeah, I can get that over the line, first of all, she loses her prime ministership, and it will have only been around Brexit, I think. Most people accept that that's all it will ever be. Whether she has or not is another thing, because it is effectively the end of her political career. But also, as soon as we saw this with Enda Kenny, as soon as you say you're going to go, you're a bit of a lame duck leader. We've seen it with in the past, where they have said it, and after that, everyone's just focusing on, right, well, when are you going, and who's taking over? So it would probably chip away at her power base even more as she's now going into, what, again, Mm. another key few weeks for Brexit.
3: Well, I I imagine she'll survive this week anyway, will she? Because uh, it is an important week and uh, there's some important votes uh, going to the House of Commons. Today they're to vote on whether they will vote on a series of votes, uh, the indicative votes, uh, which would put forward about six different options, including Mrs May's deal, and MPs would vote on which... Of them, they thought was the most popular.
4: Yeah, votes about votes is what we're, we're seeing now. So, they're having an emergency cabinet meeting over in the UK this morning. We might get a little bit more detail about what actually is going to happen this week after that. But this is an idea that's been around for quite a while, and you would wonder, given the stalemate in the UK, why it hasn't been done before. It would seem to make common sense that they will put all the different ways forward, so that would be accepting this deal, having no deal, having a second referendum, having a Norway-style deal, uh, staying in the single market, all these various different permutations or looking for a long extension, kicking it out to next year, maybe, and all the MPs would vote on that, and then they would try to see if there is support for any particular one of them, if there is a clear way forward that lots of MPs get around. Now, of course, the fear is that there isn't, and that even after these indicative votes, the mortars will still be muddied because none of them will have a very clear majority. But it looks now as though we could well see that this week. There's amendments down Uh, to put that forward, and we might see those votes on Wednesday evening by the looks of the current timetable.
3: Sandwiched in between two votes on Mrs May's deal, Uh, that's uh, assuming uh, that uh, the uh, House doesn't vote in favour of her her deal Uh, on Tuesday. They'll vote again, most likely, on Thursday on the same deal. That'll be, what, the fourth time?
4: Yeah, third, uh, the third and fourth vote could come this week. But Mrs. May has also said if she doesn't feel she has the numbers, she might not table it at all this week. So we might see it. Now, she did tell EU leaders and told the overarcher at the EU summit last week that she felt she had the votes and could have got it passed last week if it wasn't for Berko's ruling. And Berko could come in the way again. If she wants to put a third one and that failed, he could cite this old bit of uh, legislation that he brought up last week as precedent from the 1600s that you can't bring the substantially same motion, so she would have to again go and tweak and shame it. So again, there's no guarantee mm. that one, the vote even definitely goes this week. Even though the EU would like it to happen this week, it doesn't necessarily have to happen. It, the deadline, of course, has been extended out to the 12th of April, so we could still see it happen next week or even the week after. Um, but there is a possibility perhaps you know it's almost like a a bad series of of Star Wars or something we've had parts 1 and 2 and now we're getting three, four, five, and 6 that we never really wanted
3: Mm. Uh, and I imagine there's pressure on on all MPs Uh, they all have opinions they all seem to have different uh, opinions and they all seem very capable of changing uh, their opinion every other day Uh, but there's a a sway of public opinion uh, that is being articulated to them there's this online poll with uh, 5 million signatures and about a million people took to the streets over the weekend.
4: Yeah, there's a huge amount of people uh, calling for the revocation of Article 50 or calling for a second referendum. I mean, it is out there at the uh, people's vote, you know, but of course, the argument from the Brexiteers and from those who want to leave always is, oh, that's great. You've got five million, one million. 1 got 19 mm. million votes, you know, back in 2016 and that that is the, the bottom line here. So, It's strange that the second referendum in political circles haven't picked up the momentum it probably needs to get there. Now, Jeremy Corbyn has, you know, thrown his hat in behind it somewhat reluctantly. But if push came to shove, he would back proposals for a second referendum. But it does at the moment seem like one of the more unlikely options. And that said, you know, we've seen so many uh, twists and turns this Brexit saga it's not completely off the table.
3: Mm, not completely off the table. Far from it. In fact, uh, it remains as clear as mud uh, just uh, four days out from what was uh, the scheduled to date for the United Kingdom to be leaving. It'll dominate British politics uh, this week and it's never far from the minds of politicians here. I- indeed, uh, Brexit and concerns about Brexit and questions that can't be answered about Brexit seem to dominate the Fine Gael Conference this weekend.
4: Mm, it's really been the shadow over politics for the last two years, you could say, but certainly in the last few months as things get increasingly tense between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, and I think that was evidence that the, the Fine Gael conference, Leo Farag, using his speech to have swipes at Hall Martin. He's accused him of turning from the ditch on issues. He said he's full of conspiracy theories, which is a line he's trotted out in the door a couple of times. I'm not 100% sure what exactly he's referring to and Micheál you know, Martin's always looked bemused when he's put it to him in the door about these various different things, but you know, having a go at them, and there is, of course, still that under-tension between the two parties that both of them would probably like an election if there wasn't this Brexit fiasco looming over everything. But again, Micheál Martin, um, he was in Brussels as well, meeting some of his European counterparts last Thursday, and I spoke to him and he said, look, we've offered this support to Fine Gael for 2019 to get through Brexit, and we're not going to be pulling that uh, asking about the possibility of if there's a long extension would they do it and he you know, kind of played it off I think obviously there would be pressure if there was a long prices extension to go for an election within the party but he is saying we're doing the right thing doing the responsible thing at the moment so then to uh, get a bit of a kicking from Leo Varadkar you'd expect yeah. it in normal times it's quite the odd when he's the one who's keeping us in government
3: well, He was uh, far more competent though than Mihal Martin would have been in his uh, leader speech uh, to the Fianna Fáil or of thought. Uh, Mihol Martin seemed to be making apologies uh, for the position that Fianna Fáil was taking as a, a party in opposition, facilitating uh, the minority government and no intention of going to the polls. Didn't seem to have any ideas. Uh, of substance to offer in terms of how his party could change things if he had wanted that uh, election which seems to elude him at this stage. Leo Varadkar, on the other hand talking about how Brexit might define the United Kingdom but won't define this country he was talking a- about a country uh, which had a strong economy which Fine Gael could make stronger. He-, he laid special emphasis on how Fine Gael was the only party that people could trust uh, and uh, that uh, nobody would feel left out in this country, that it would become an inclusive society, that we'd protect the environment and that we would take our rightful place in the world. His uh, comments against Sinn Féin having no idea is uh, scathing, uh, but the idea of Micheál Martin hurling from the ditch uh, and that that isn't a policy and that he has these conspiracy theories uh, and uh, he's nothing more than a finger-wagger which doesn't offer solutions would have cut deep I think, with Fianna Fáil, uh, members who may have uh, taken what Mr Radker had to say to heart?
4: Yeah, uh, Perhaps, yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of used to it at this stage. And I think the Fianna Fáilers will come back and say that this is obviously Fina Gael trying to, again, promote themselves as the party of law and order. And yes, while he did mention housing in the speech, health wasn't a huge issue of concern, or certainly they seem to... to get this temporal paralysis where they can remember all the good things and put that forward but there's still huge concerns about this government and they'd have every right in saying that they would be gone if it it wasn't for Brexit. So Brexit in many ways is going to be the hill that Leo Varadkar will die on whether it goes well or goes badly because that is the big policy point and I think most people tend to think that he is doing a fairly good job and the government is doing a good job even if they disagree when it comes to housing and comes to health and comes to other issues. It's interesting, I thought, he backed up what he said that the last Fine Gael audition, in terms of changing the uh, tax point from the current or the equivalent of 5,000 for the higher payers up to 50,000, because that's caused a lot of controversy, mm. because it takes a huge amount of money uh, to do it, and would tend to benefit the mi- more middle-class voters that Fine Gael has already relied on. So when he's talking about this being inclusive Ireland, and he's talking about increasing social welfare payments by small increments, you know, it is a certain class of people they are helping more so than others. So, you know, lots of points you could definitely pick at. And then, of course, uh, with the Commonwealth comments that were made at the weekend and the way some vinegators have reacted to them, you could well say they shot themselves in the foot this weekend as well.
3: Yeah, they uh, gave Jeffrey Donaldson a hearty applause uh, for that suggestion. Uh, Was that politeness or what?
4: I think a certain amount of it was in that he was wrapping up his overall points at the same time there was always going to be a bit of it but there was a bit of enthusiasm for it and we've seen even since then a couple of Senegalers Frankie Fien and um, and Neil Richmond the Senators coming out and saying yeah you know what it's not a bad idea I think maybe we should look at returning to the Commonwealth which I think for most people would be utterly bizarre you know it's, it's kind of a strange time for these old things at the Commonwealth and the. Uh, given the Alan Partridge coming out through Black and tans has been resurfaced well in the last couple of days, it's almost like a bit of a time war to be talking about all these things again. But certainly a very strange comment. Now, the TCK and the both said, look, it's not Finnegale policy. We're not looking at it right now. Mm. Um, but it is the view of some party members, and some of them gave support. But that's a complete change of tack to what they initially reacted to. Because when it was first reported in the media, all sorts of people in Finnegale were out attacking, saying they were spinning it, and they weren't clapping for that, they were clapping for other things, but it's pretty clear they were clapping, you know, there were a certain portion of Senegal who don't think it would be a bad idea to return to the Commonwealth.
3: All right, we might hear more about that a little bit later on. We'll leave it there for the moment, though. Thank you, Sean, for joining us uh, this morning. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe.
5: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM.
3: LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, a candlelit vigil was held in Carlingford uh, last night uh, to remember three young lives uh, that were lost recently: Martin Patterson and uh, Shane McInnellan, who died in a road traffic accident, and Ruth McGuire, a thirty-year-old. Uh, mother of two who died by drowning. Her body was discovered in Carlingford Lock. Her sister is Rachel Wilkinson and she's been speaking to Eamon Doyle for us.
5: She was um, just a lovely person inside and out. Um, Great family person, um, involved the extended family and everything. Um, Just completely devoted to her three children and... um, and her fiancé, and looking forward to getting married, and um, and just always busy with her kids, and Bringing the various classes and um, involved in various things in the town. They'd only lived in Newcastle for a short time, but they made such such great friends. And you know, and they've made you know, it's overwhelming the amount of people that have come up from Newcastle to sort of just pay their respects. And um, so, yeah, she's obviously very much a loved person, and um, that's been shown over the last couple of days, probably more so than we ever would have even imagined.
1: And tonight, the vigil this evening, a lot of people turned out from the village, and people travelled from Belfast.
5: Yeah, loads of family and friends. Um, we knew some people were coming down, but then there was others that we didn't even know that made the effort and come down, and it was amazing to see everyone. And um, even people who were standing beside us must have realised that we were the family and sort of come over and shook our hands and stuff. So that was lovely. And then we got to speak to the guys who found Ruth. Um, and it's just nice to sort of shake their hand and you know and say you, thank you and, um, and then... To sort of um, see that it, everyone's in shock as well as just it's not just us. Everyone's in shock. The town as well, you know, the residents, and um, and it, it sort of makes you feel you know, a bit better about the whole situation. That you know, that it's not just it is such a tragedy, and everybody can see that it's such a sad event.
1: And just going back to last week, when you got that phone call, did you know then really something was seriously wrong? Because the kind of girl she was was just it wasn't for her to switch her phone off and she'd be always in touch with her family?
5: Immediately. Um, my mum rang and said, have you heard from Ruth? And I said, no. And she said, well, no-one's heard from her since 12 o'clock last night. This was lunchtime the next day, so I knew that something was drastically wrong. If she... If her phone was dead, she'd have, got, she'd have borrowed someone else's. If, she'd, um, if she needed to go into a, even a, the, the, the garden or whatever, anybody should have asked someone could she use their phone to contact home. She'd have used some means to let people know she was OK and to check on the children. So the fact that she hadn't, we knew that there was something wrong.
1: Tonight, I know you spoke to Councillor Keelan uh, as regards the barrier for up around the pier. Uh, what had I need to say to you?
5: Well, everyone seems to be in agreement that it's a good idea, especially given that there are so many young ones that come to this town. Um, We just don't want this to happen to another family. We don't want another family to go through the heartache and even so much as, you know, the days of waiting to find out. And, you know, I was hoping she wasn't in the lock, but um, it could have been worse that we never got her back. So I just think that a barrier there would be if it's closed at night time, so that no young ones can, you know, walk down, and um, it just it makes sense. And you know, even so much as I've got a small child, three, who's as light as a feather, you know, a gush of wind and he's in the water. So it's not just so much as that; it's just for the you know these young ones coming down that are having a few too many. It's it's for everyone.
1: Mm. And the family, extended family, going forward now, her children. You know, how are they coping?
5: Um, the oldest, the oldest, is ten. Um, he, the eldest, he's lovely, and he's he's, he's just a, a very quiet little boy, and he doesn't really talk about his feelings very much. So we were a bit worried about him, but he seems to have he's shown his emotion. But I think it's because he's seen the adults show their emotion, um, and the other two are quite young, so I think they're just not really fully understanding, um. You know, we've got a really tight family, we're really strong and very supportive family and we have a great relationship with their father who's an amazing dad. Um, so uh, I, think, I think you know, we'll, we'll have bad days but in general we'll, be, we'll, we'll hopefully be okay, we'll have to be, we'll, we'll do it for Ruth.
3: Rachel Wilkinson remembering uh, her sister Ruth. Maguire. Uh, Rachel was speaking to Eamon Doyle for us in Carlingford last night and uh, Ruth Maguire's body was uh, discovered in Carlingford Lock over the St. Patrick's weekend. Now an investigation is continuing into a house fire in County Meath which claimed uh, the life of a woman in her 40s. Uh, Let's hear a little bit more about this. Local Fine Gael councillor Sharon Tolan is on the line. Uh, This uh, is a part of Bettystown. I'm sure that a lot of people are familiar with uh, castle martin avenue at 20 to 10 in the morning uh, this uh, certainly would have come as a, a shock if ever
6: good morning michael um yes absolutely and, and in fact the estate is just around the corner here from from me um just first of all in, in relation to that report it's quite difficult listening to to that report in carlingford and and my condolences to the family of of, of Ruth McGuire. Um, shocking, shocking incident. But yes, uh, Saturday morning, um, a shocking, shocking incident here and uh, another tragic loss of, of life. Um, and my, my thoughts and, and prayers are with the lady's family, friends and, and, and neighbours there in, in Castle Martin. Um, you know, this the news of this is still coming as a shock to many people, even this morning here in Betty's town. Um, as they they go about their, their daily business and, and meet people, and at the schoolyard and, and in the shops, people are, are just hearing the news. So it is uh, uh, still a massive shock um, and a tragic loss of life. Saturday morning,
3: uh, I'm sure people uh, were shocked, uh, as I think most people. Are when you hear of an incident like this, but when you realise uh, that it's a neighbour and you know the person involved, it's all the more shocking. As you say, people are hearing about it at uh, the school gates uh, this morning. What what have people been saying to you?
6: Uh, just, uh, just 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 uh, that they're shocked and 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 looking for answers really. But uh, there is an ongoing investigation, and um, you know uh, I'm sure we we will get further news on that. But um, you know that's that's the question that people are asking how how can this happen? Um, on a Saturday morning in a in a busy family housing estate, and um, yeah, just lots of questions, I suppose, but no answers as yet at the moment, Michael. Um, so just a shocking tragedy.
3: Okay, we've no idea how the fire started, or anything no.
6: like that. No, nothing, nothing as yet. Nothing from the guardie. Yes, the, the the investigation is ongoing.
3: OK, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Finnegale Councillor Sharon Tolan. Now, let's take a look at the front page of uh, the Irish uh, Daily Star today. Please free me. Isis bride begs Leo to rescue her and son from Syrian hellhole. This is uh, Lisa Smith, who is uh, described as a Isis bride begging yesterday to be rescued from her Syrian hellhole prison and brought home to Ireland. Trevor Quinn reports uh, that, clutching her toddler's son, the fa- former Irish soldier from Dundalk County, Louth revealed she is desperate to escape the camp in war-torn she was speaking to a CNN journalist and the 37-year-old said, I think people should realise uh, that uh, all the people here are not terrorists. I want to go home. Smith, dressed from head to toe in a niqab, with only her eyes visible during the TV interview as seen cradling her two-year-old boy, asked if she was aware she could possibly be prosecuted or end up in jail. Mrs. Smith said, I know, they'd strip me of my passport and I wouldn't travel and I'd be watched, kind of, but prison's I don't know. I'm already in prison. Trevor Quinn also reports uh, that over the weekend it emerged that top-level meetings have taken place between the Defence Forces and the Department of Foreign Affairs to draw up a plan to bring Mrs Smith home. Let's hear a little bit of what Lisa Smith had to say to CNN. She was speaking to reporter Yomana Karachi-Scott. I think
5: that people should just uh,
6: realise that all the people here are not terrorists.
0: This woman declined to give us her name, but she's been identified by Irish media as Muslim convert Lisa Smith, a former member of the Irish military. She says she came to Syria an ISIS bride. Now she's a widow, left alone with a two-year-old daughter.
6: I want to go home. (laughs) But you might be prosecuted if you go home. You might end up in jail. Are you ready for that? Well, I know they'd strip me off my passport and stuff and I wouldn't travel and I'd be watched, kind of. But prisons? I don't know. know.
3: I'm already in prison. <laughs> already in prison. Local Dundalk native Lisa Smith uh, speaking to Yomana Karachi Scott of CNN. Michael,
5: Michael Reed, Reed on,
3: on LMFM. FINAFAL's uh, reaction uh, to the idea of index linking future increases uh, for pension has been so strong uh, that it makes for the front page of uh, the Irish Independent today. Future pension increases to be capped under Fine Gael plans. The idea is uh, that pensions would increase in line with uh, the Consumer Price Index. Let's talk uh, about this uh, with Peter Kavanagh, who's Head of Communications and Public Affairs with Active Retirement Ireland. Fianna Fáil's reaction comes because of comments Regina Doherty, the Minister for Social Protection, made at uh, the Fine Gael conference over the weekend. But this isn't the first time. And the Minister has indicated that this is a route that she's looking at.
7: No, and to be fair, it is something that has been pushed for by the NGO sector. I think the thing that's missing in the conversation is when, when Active Retirement Ireland and other uh, charities and NGOs that represent older people, when we pushed for index linking to pension, it was in line with an international best practice model called the triple lock, where it would go up by the higher of either €5, Euros, the consumer price index, or the growth in average earnings. So then you have a guaranteed minimum uh, increase of a fiver every year, uh, but that could be higher if the cost of living goes up. That's the thing that charities have been calling for. Fine Gael announcing that they'll link it to inflation and inflation only is uh, it's not what's been demanded, and I'm not surprised at the reaction. However, Fianna Fáil are going the exact opposite way, and what they want to do is they want to have it back in the gift of politicians. What we really want to do is we want to see a future income security for older people, where, the, where you know, we don't have to lobby and beg uh, politicians every single year, and then a fiver comes in, but it doesn't come in until this week, so it's not really a fiver. It works out at €3. Euros. The usual shenanigans every single year, every single budget. That's what we're trying to avoid. And it looks like Fine Gael and Fianna can can't quite get their heads around that. Fine Gael want to bring in a very, very small increase every year. Fianna want us to go to them cap in hand and they want to take the credits when they give us a fiver each year as we expected.
3: Okay, so uh, this Friday uh, I think most pensioners uh, will get that €5 euro increase uh, for 2019. Uh, as you say, because it's being introduced now, rather than in January, it's not a, a five euro increase uh, based on 12 months of the year and is 340 or whatever it is. Uh, mm-hmm. But next uh, October will be the next time an increase will be announced or won't be announced, as the case may be. Finnegale appears to be saying, well, maybe that should be in the region of 50 cent or a euro or maybe not at all, depending on how inflation is. Uh, you're saying it should be €5 euro plus the 50 cent.
7: What I'm saying is it should be €5 euro or the rise in inflation or the rise in average earnings, whichever is higher. That's what we've been calling for from Fine Gael for years. It's what we were calling for from Fine Gael and Labour. And it's what mm. we were calling for from Fine Gael and the Greens. This is something that's been on the cards for a long time. This is the process that's in place in the UK where the pension goes up by at least a few pounds or the rise in consumer inflation or the rise in average earnings. If you don't have that so-called triple lock arm, all you have is this guaranteed rise of maybe, as you say, mm. 52 or 53 cents, 0.6%. The problem with with linking the pension to the, to the rise in inflation is the consumer price index <laughs> usually includes mortgages or rents, accommodation costs that pensioners don't have to uh, pay. So when pensioners have a reduced income, they don't have to pay housing costs anymore so when the prices of other things go up pensioners spend more of their money on that they spend a bigger proportion of their money on energy costs a bigger proportion of their money on food costs so a rise in the consumer price index which takes into account the fact that mortgage inflation across Europe is at a sort of an all time low it doesn't really benefit pensioners because the mortgage isn't their concern that bit of their life is gone the problem is that they have to pay Mm. more for food they have to pay more for fuel and they have less money to deal with
3: it Okay so a a minimum of €5 every 12 months for how long?
7: Well, that would be up to the government that comes in to guarantee it. But the fact of the matter is the cost of living is going up. So this should be linked in with, uh, with you know, we need to do an awful lot uh, to safeguard our future for pensioners. So we need to be, you know, linking this to the cost of living. Mm. So we need to do this in five-year increments. And, you know, I think the governments are pretty loath to commit beyond five years. Okay. So it would be fairly unrealistic of us to say we need this locked in for the next 30 years. I don't think any government is going to think beyond the next election. So let's just say five, six years we want to see this kind of progress uh, locked in for. But there's other things that need to be done. We need to be linking pensionable age with healthy life expectancy. At the moment the only thing that uh, governments the Fine Gael government have done to deal with uh, an increase in the ageing population and the fact that we're living longer and we're living healthier mm. is to make people stay and work for an additional year or two. We need to do lots of other holistic things. You know, We need to think about the greater picture and we need to think about the ways that so we can make sure that older people have an adequate income that they can live on, on Until they die, there are loads of things that are happening. There there is more enrolment schemes on the tracks, which will help.
3: uh, And that uh, is something uh, which will put the responsibility back on the people. But to increase it by five euro a year every year indefinitely means uh, 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 an increase uh, that is not finite.
7: Well, I mean, we, like I said, we would ask for commitments per term of dollar, you know what I mean? Mm. We need to be looking at this. You know, we're talking about a five euro now. I wouldn't be asking for a five euro rise every year indefinitely because the time is going to come when a fiver is worthless. You know, so <laughs> quite the opposite of, of of your point, Michael. There's you, going to come a time when a fiver is not enough. It's
3: going you be you a might be looking for 50 euro in 10 years from it, now. It,
7: yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, exactly yeah. that. We don't know what way, uh, you know, inflation is going to go across the whole of Europe. What we want to see is... is you know that the pension is linked to the higher of five euro for the time being, the consumer price index or the growth in average earnings. Because the Mm. fact of the matter is, Finnegan are looking for the cheap way out and Fianna Fáil are looking to just hold them over the fires and just get a bit of plaudits. The same way they've done for many, many years. We want to take this out of the hands of politicians. We want pensioners to know what's coming down the tracks, but also to know that it will be enough.
3: But our pensioners are are looked after pretty well, are they not, in comparison to a a lot of other countries? I think we're 12th out of of a league of 34 countries.
7: Yeah, which is, which is something, I suppose, I don't know if I'd be proud of being 12th out of 34. I'd like us to be the best. In pure dollar terms, as they say, we give the most money to pensioners of any, uh, of any country in Europe. And we have, of course, a world leader in the free travel system. And those things are brilliant. And we should seek to maintain that. That's not, that's not to say we should rest on our laurels. We should get better. One of the problems we have is the cost of living for pensioners is extremely high compared to other countries. Fuel costs are huge, food costs are huge. It's very, very difficult for people, particularly people who live alone, to, to, uh, to pay for heating their house or feeding themselves because, you know, it's very, very difficult to buy food for one and it costs the same amount to heat a house for one as it does for two and yet your income is halved with the exception of a small living alone allowance. So, you know, we still have a lot to do mm-hmm. to make ourselves maybe number one in Europe but, yes, yeah, certainly as far as the amount of cash money we give our pensioners, it's something to be proud of but I'd like to see us do something to lower the cost of living for them as well because if you take, for example, the UK, they have a very low pension. They pay about half as much to their pensioners mm-hmm. But with the NHS and an increased winter fuel system and many other fringe benefits that are there for UK pensioners, the actual burden on pensioners in the UK is lower, even though they get half as much money.
3: Is it, though? Uh, I mean, most pensioners here have a a medical card or a doctor-only card. Uh, Certainly anybody over 70 should have a a medical card. Uh, And uh, then uh, there are the other entitlements. I mean, there is fuel allowance uh, available for people, uh, and uh, generally speaking, a, a lot of pensioners would feel as though they're quite comfortable.
7: Well, I mean, the pensioners I speak to remember being a little bit more comfortable, you know. You say that all over 70s should have the medical card. That is, of course, uh, linked to income. And There was a time when all over 70s had the medical card regardless but that was taken off them in uh, in in 20... uh, Ooh, 2009. (laughs) I'm losing track Mm. of myself. The budget in late 2008. Um, So 10 years ago that was taken off. That's a very high
3: threshold, isn't it?
7: It's, well. T- to be honest with you, the problem is that it takes into account savings and it takes into account uh, other forms of wealth as well. We, we find it quite problematic. The issue with the threshold, no matter where you set it, is it's going to affect a small amount of people who are just barely above it and are kind of suffering because of that. I was speaking to one woman yesterday who won't avail of the government's rent-a-room scheme because the income that would come in, a €1,000 a month that would come in, would move her over the threshold and she'd lose her medical card. So there's little bits and pieces there. Certainly we do look after our pensioners, fair well compared to some European countries but I'm adamant that it absolutely could be better and there are certain things we should be doing like for example linking the pension increases to a triple lock including index linking but not limited to just raising it by 50 cents a year uh,
3: And you were saying uh, as well Peter uh, that there's a bit of political point scoring going on on both sides. Uh, perhaps that's not a, a bad thing until you get a commitment uh, if there is ever to be a commitment uh, from a, a party in government uh, to the type of measures that you're suggesting today, because undoubtedly it will, as Fianna Fáil seems to be suggesting, become an election issue.
7: Well, one thing Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil both know is that older people vote, and they vote in huge numbers. Um, they have the highest turnout, traditionally, and that, uh, that has been borne out in recent elections, recent even referendums. The turnout numbers for the over 65s uh, are huge. So they know that this is going to be an election issue, because... You know, older people are not as tied to the traditional parties as they used to be. And certainly we've seen older people move their votes from Fine Gael to Fianna Fáil and vice versa over the last couple of years as a response to the global financial crisis and maybe the poor management that Fianna Fáil had and perhaps their opinion of Fine Gael's performance in government to date. So we wouldn't be surprised to see this being a political football. What we want to be sure is that both parties are promising the right thing that pensioners actually want. As I said at the top of the piece, uh, Fine Gael are promising an income that can be guaranteed, that can be counted on in the future, and that's good, we want that... But we it's not enough. 50 cent is not enough. It needs yeah. to be enough to keep people happy and healthy. Gina uh-huh. Fall are promising a five a year, but we're going to have to go tap and hand and ask Willie O'Dea for it. And then we're going to have to say thank you very much, Mr O'Dea, afterwards. That's not what we want either. We want to remove this political football, give some security for people. And I know that this will be kicked around until the next election. Whenever that is, it could be soon, it could be next year. We really don't have a clue. This will be a hot topic because older people are going to vote. We just want to make sure that the commitments that come on the doors when the election is called are the right ones.
3: Okay, Peter, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, It sounds like you have your hands pretty full there at the moment. Yeah, I've got my son in my arms, so thanks very much for your patience. Well, thank you indeed uh, for your time, your patience, and indeed your son for his time and his patience as well this morning. That's uh, Peter Kavanagh, who's Head of Communications and Public Affairs with Active Retirement Ireland.
5: Michael Reed on
3: LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie.
8: Good morning, Michael. Some people not happy with Leo Radcart Martin is one of them. He's a Fianna Fáil supporter and he says, how much more is Fianna Fáil going to take from Fine Gael? Michal Martin needs to show leadership and pull out of the confidence and supply agreement. He is making a laughing stock of us all. Who? Leo Vradkar. <laughs> Leo Vradkar or Mihal yes, Martin? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> See,
3: I hear that a different way. I, 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 I'm not sure I hear that comment the way you hear it at all. I think he's giving out about Mihal Martin. And he's giving out that Mihal Martin is making a laughing stock out of of Fall and allowing a situation yes, you're whereby probably right. a political opponent, namely the Taoiseach, can talk about him as being a finger wagging tut
8: tutter. <laughs> John from Navin thinks that Leo Vradkar is getting too big for his boots. He has needed Fianna Fáil to stay in government, but shows absolutely no respect. Only for Fianna Fáil, he wouldn't be Taoiseach, and he would, should do well to remember that.
3: OK, he may be getting too big for his jacket, uh, but I think his boots fit fine.
8: Jim uh, got in touch and says he cannot believe the Fine Gael are even considering Ireland joining the Commonwealth. What planet is Fine Gael on? There's no way the people of Ireland want that. Fine, Fine Gael don't want us talking about a united Ireland at this sensitive time because of Brexit, but it's okay for them to talk about joining the Commonwealth. Mm. Uh, Matthew and Rejoining. 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 Yeah. yeah, Matthew and Johada yeah. says that uh, Finnegale would join the Commonwealth in a heartbeat. They are pro British. They are a pro British party, and the weekend just proves that.
3: Okay, well, I, I, I'm not sure that everybody in Finnegale would uh, agree with that. We'll ask Ferguson down; who'll be speaking to us in a, a short while, for his thoughts on the whole thing.
8: Declan, on the other hand, he doesn't know why there's been such a backlash over the talk of joining the Commonwealth, or as you put it, rejoining. He says that's all it is. It's talk. Such an overreaction, mm. maintains Declan. Okay. <laughs> Shame is mm. uh, Frampton Dog. Just a on, bit like
3: going to a DUP conference though and everybody <laughs> in the DUP applauding at the idea of a united Ireland and saying it's just talk.
8: And I don't know, I did mm. watch that audio because there was such a, a Twitter controversy over whether they applauded his mm. comments on, on rejoining the Commonwealth or whether it was the end of the speech. Mm. And I'm not so sure which it was, to be honest. When I, was lo- I looked mm. at it a few times, it was hard to make out but they did clap their hands so oh, they yeah. can't argue against that mm. Yeah And as as Sean Defoe said at the top of the programme, subsequently, you know, you have had people come out and say Mm -hmm. maybe it's not a bad idea. Uh, Seamus from Tundalk is in touch over Brexit and he says there were reports over the weekend of a heave against Theresa May. If this happens, he wonders, what will that achieve? Will it make any difference to the state of play at the moment? Okay. Seamus wonders.
3: Well, (laughs) Get that
8: crystal ball out, Michael.
3: Possibly. (laughs) Maybe. No, yes, you know, he's asking about Brexit. Who's going to be clear in responding to that? Let's uh, talk uh, about uh, some unanswered questions in Navan now and why Flower Hill was closed on Friday night. But we do know why Flower Hill was closed on Friday night. Uh, It's because ambulance crews, Gardaí, fire services and Mead River Rescue were responding to an emergency call. But what that call was about is another day's work. Christopher Rennicks is uh, the chairman of Mead River Rescue. Services and he's on the line. Good morning Christopher and How thanks doing, for his, uh, It appears as though this was a hoax call for some reason.
9: Yeah it was a hoax Michael. We got a call there around uh, quarter, uh, quarter to 11 on Friday night there from Gardee, that the person was seen entering the Riverbine on Flower Hill and Poolby View Bridge. Uh, we I went to the scene and the other members went for the boat and I went to meet the Gardee and Uh, asked the guard where was the person that seen the person entering the water and they said they were trying to ring him on the phone he wasn't answering and it was starting to look like it was a hoax call from straight away and the guards kept ringing He was not answering the phone the phone was going off and uh, he didn't respond and eventually the ambulance service could trace the call back to the Tilbury area where it was used on an emergency call before, 13 or 14 months ago, the ambulance service could trace it back, and that's where it led to, and then the Gary stood down the search around half twelve.
3: On Friday night?
9: On Friday night, and okay. then we mm-hmm. talked, and the person that made the 99 call was the person that who entered the water, like everything was going through everybody's mind. Mm. You had... The River Rescue, well, had our own boat, that we'd won on the bridge, and then we'd won, the uh, Nav and Fire Service had their boat on the river, like your two boats. There was a possibility the helicopter was on the way, but we stood it down, because... We didn't want to bring it out because we we were thinking it was a hoax. Like, if somebody seen somebody entering the water, Mm -hmm. they would have stayed around.
3: And a lot of time and energy uh, and, indeed, cost involved in all of this uh, on what was... A lot of cost.
9: Like, you had the fire truck there, you had the fire brigade, the two jeeps, need a rescue.
10: Ready to pop the question.
9: Seven members, seven members, the fire service and mm-hmm. all the crew down, you had two ambulances, you had three guards cars, and you had all this here and the with the traffic closed on the hill, too, like yeah, and you had a lot of people looking on what was going on, like you had some loved ones thinking. Was was a dog? Somebody in the water? Like mm. it was getting a bit messy there for a while there, Michael. Yeah,
3: a, a lot of people discommoded because of uh, the traffic disruptions, uh, as you say. But traffic, I think, yeah. I, I think the big concern uh, with uh, incidents like this is if the emergency services are actually needed elsewhere.
9: Yeah, unfortunately, they weren't needed. Mm. Uh, thanks to God, they weren't needed because everybody would have been held up in that. There, like they would have to turn, like, Navin ever would have to turn somebody else out, like Kells or somebody to respond to Navin or something. Like, that's what you're up against, like, mm. It's unfortunate the hoax was made, and, and the Gary investigating it there now would uh, have a definite line that actually spoken to the person on it. And I'd seen know the Gary investigating more into it. Mm.
3: Well, hopefully, uh, the foolishness of it will be realised uh, by that person, or perhaps by somebody else listening to us uh, today. But it's a a, a a terrible drain on valuable resources, uh, and indeed, the resource uh, that is Meath River Rescue Services, uh, as well, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, a lot of your members are are, are very annoyed because uh, your members are, are are generally speaking volunteers, aren't they?
9: Total volunteers. Every member you have is volunteer. Like, it was the first Friday night, and I was in my bed early. Mm. And we done took the call from the guards and we responded and all the other members responded. We told you went to bed early for Friday, mm. well the first Friday I got to bed early and this actually appears. Uh
3: yeah, and it it's wouldn't be it totally wouldn't be the first it. time. It wouldn't be the first time, though. Uh, I'm sure it's true to say, Christopher, that you'd have got out of your warm bed on a cold night to go up to a cold river where there was a search for a missing person. In fact, I think me, the river rescue services do that all of the time in every corner of the country. You assist in other parts of the country, let alone locally, uh, but to do it for absolutely no reason at all must be infuriating.
9: It was very, it was, it definitely was, Michael. And it's hopefully the person realise what he's done and just hopefully that there's no more of this. Like, you don't want to see this happening. We never have any hope, many in me at all. Like, uh, hopefully it never happens again because you don't want to see people going through that. And, no. and the river was moving very fast. It was a bit of a flood in it and it uh, was moving fast. I think you want. You only have a couple of minutes there when you get the call, Michael, to respond to try to get somebody out but if it's not it goes into a
3: certain recovery mm, and you're putting yourself at risk of course as well as everything else Christopher we'll leave it there for the moment though and thank you indeed for joining us this morning Christopher Rennicks is uh, the chair of Meath River Rescue Service now let's go back to some more of the calls that have been coming to us what else have you got there Marie?
8: I'm going to go to another John from Navin who phoned in was listening into your interview with Peter Kavanagh regarding pensions and John says that I'm a pensioner and so is my wife and I think we are well off. I was in England two weeks ago with my daughter and I happened to speak to a number of different pensioners and we are far better. Oh, mm-hmm. furthermore, Regina Doherty, the Minister, brought in a scheme last year wh- whereby you got half of the fuel allowance in October and the other half in January. I was able to go out and shop around Able to buy 500 litres, uh, litres and all it cost me was 35 euros extra to put to it. Mm. We are living in the best country in the world and we don't realise it, says well, John.
3: 12th best, uh, I think, uh, which is uh, pretty high ranking.
8: Tommy from dog on the other hand, phoned in on the same topic and he says uh, in relation to pensions that every time we get a rise, it seems that the cost of living goes up, that we're not keeping up with the economy. We are actually worse off every time. He says that this time uh, with the increase, he's worked it out because of the increase Mm. to various utility bills, he's going to be €8. worse off at this time Mm. with the 5 euro Mm. because of the costs so he thinks that the government needs to realise that just we were talking about drones on Friday and we had a couple Mm. of comments Michael Uh, a listener firmly believes drones should be banned they are an invasion of your privacy airports have had to close down over them they put people's lives in danger another listener when dogs come onto your land to go after your sheep you shoot them it should be the same for the drones uh, Paul says, would have more concerns for the 16 year olds that are driving high powered tractors and trailers up and down the roads than I do for drones.
3: Okay. So yeah. That's a flavour.
8: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll finish mm-hmm. on that, Michael. All
3: right, okay. Thanks uh, for that. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us as well. If you'd like to add to what's being said, you can give us a call. Our telephone number is eighteen fifty-seven-one-five-nine-five-eight.
5: 958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
3: Now, I'll just read a a little bit of Miriam Lord's column in uh, the Irish Times uh, today. It's to do with uh, the idea of us joining the Commonwealth or not, something that was uh, suggested by Jeffrey Donaldson at at the end of his contribution uh, to the Fine Gael Conference uh, this weekend. And she says, "Louth TD, Fergus O'Dowd, sitting beside him, wore the pained expression of a man trying to look pleasantly interested while desperately fighting the urge to violently break wind. <laughs> 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 That's Fried, that. Huh? <laughs> you can yeah. thank Miriam Lord. Uh, does, yeah. does she sum up how you felt?
2: Of course she does. In fact, mm. uh, there is no mandate, or there is no policy making view within Fine Gael that we would join the Commonwealth. It is the, it is the one area which one of our senators, Frankie Feehan, has been pursuing, but he is alone in that, and we will not be joining the Commonwealth. There's no way it's on our agenda. It's most certainly not on my agenda. I just want to make very mm. briefly, I come from a nationalist family. Two of my father's brothers fought in the War of Independence, and on the other side, one of my mother's uh, brothers died in the Second World War. He was fighting with, the, he was in the RAF, mm-hmm. so we were very proud tradition, uh, and I know that. We're the party of of Michael Collins, uh, but the serious point is that. Clearly, we need to improve our relationships with Northern Ireland, particularly Mm. with the Unionist Party. I'm chairman now of the Finnegrail Engagement Group, with unionism, with nationalism. uh, And at our our meeting on Saturday, sitting beside me also was the leader of the Alliance Party, Naomi Long, Mm. and also Claire Hanna from the SDLP. So we had all parties there. But nevertheless, uh, he did make that point. Uh, How should people interpret the applause? Well I well I was there and I think they were just, just being nice, you know, because I know I've had a Well mm. if you look the hands didn't move anyway, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, but having said that, I was delighted mm. that Jeffrey Donaldson did come down. It was very important that we engage with mm. them, that we listen to what they have to say and he listens to us so it's a two way Ruth, I mean, the problem is uh, at the moment in the North, we have no administration. Uh, you know, the, the Unionists and the Nazis mm-hmm. aren't working together. Uh, Brexit is the biggest issue facing sure. this country but, in but, the but, but, but,
3: but would you think if Simon Coveney, let's say, was to suggest to a DUP conference that a united mm-hmm. Ireland would be a good idea, that he'd get a polite round of applause?
2: Well, uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> well, let's put it this way: or, it or, didn't or yet. is it an appropriate but analogy? Going, but we will be going to their conferences, and I hope if I'm invited, I would like to speak and I'll tell them what I genuinely mm. think. I think. Well, well, would you get a round of applause? Pardon? I mean, you wouldn't well, get a round. Well, I don't I think you get a few things thrown. Well, at what, you I would, well <laughs> what I would like to think is that is that nationalists have to listen to unionists, mm. and uh, I mean, we've had over three thousand three hundred people lost their lives. In the campaign of violence in the north, uh, I think something like you know, there's at least eighty two little children died, to which there's no, we don't know exactly. Mm. You know, like I met with the uh, families for justice who represent everybody, particularly nationalist people who are, who are victims of of assassinations of of family members who had absolutely no. Uh, no we're not involved in the i r a uh, and are still in some cases thirty forty years later trying to clear their family's name, their good name, so we're very conscious of that and I'm very conscious of of, of you know of all of that mm. and my job which uh, which I'm along with Jim Darcy whom who you know, is to make sure that we reach out to all the parties, all the communities in the north, and that's our real task and um but clearly you know. Obviously, engage in What we want is uh, an island. Obviously, that works well economically, mm. politically. I believe in the United Ireland. Uh, but and I, you're I, doing that
3: on behalf of Jim Darcy, of a former senator
2: Yeah, but uh, mm. but I do accept and acknowledge that if there, if there is to be a future arrangement, it would have to be, in my view, you know, the Unionists will have to be in government, I mm. presume, on this island if we ever reach a consensus. And obviously, there will have to be devolved powers. But that's that's uh, that's a long way away okay. we've mm-hmm. got to get the people up there who are elected working and talking to each other
3: alright and we'll talk about Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland in the context of Brexit and indeed uh, the Fitzgerald Um, Conference uh, a little bit more uh, in a moment. But can we talk about John Delaney and the FAI? This is front page news now. Mr. Delaney has stepped down uh, as uh, chief executive and become executive vice president. uh, And there's a lot of questions people are are looking for answers to.
2: It's like as if I'm wearing a brown coat today and tomorrow I'm wearing a different one, a white one, but I still have all the agendas in my pocket. I still have all the accountability for when I was wearing the other coat so it doesn't there are serious questions to answer. Uh, Last December uh, Deputy Catherine Murphy an independent member of Dáil asked before all of this happened that we would bring in the FAI I'm chairman of the Transport Sport Committee Mm. and
3: you will be speaking to them today yes oh yes
2: of course and and uh, they were to come in and three times they changed the date Uh, So the date we fixed on was the 10th of April, um, uh, but it could happen earlier if we have an audit that they've done on governance. But our role is to investigate governance, uh, you know, uh, uh, and clearly the person to answer all of those questions who is in charge of governance is Mr Delaney. But it will not be a witch hunt. It will be fair. It will be frank. It will be robust. But, uh, you know, that's the context.
3: So when John Delaney is in front of you today, what questions have you to put to him?
2: Yeah, well, it it won't actually be today. It'll be, uh, we're trying to arrange, it could be Wednesday. uh, Sorry, excuse me. The 10th is the date we've agreed. It might be earlier. Uh, No, sorry, Michael, I didn't make that Mm clear. The other thing we're doing, so to, to be helpful, is that, The money that they get from the Irish government is £2.7 a year. Mm. It goes through Sports Ireland. That's John Tracy. So I was speaking to John Tracy on on Saturday morning before all of this other new news blew up. And uh, we've asked him to come in before our committee. So he will tell us, because they give them the money on behalf of us, the taxpayer, what rules are in place, what procedures are in place. Have they ever asked him about you know, the pay and all those issues. Accommodation. Yes, and were they even told about many of these mm. things, which appears that they may not have been. So that sure. would set the the facts on the table Were you for surprised
3: us. to hear that they were paying 3000 f- to rent it, property? I couldn't believe it, but,
2: but uh, from reading the paper this morning, mm. uh, while it's unusual, I believe in business, it's, it, 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 it's not that it never happened before, but to me, if I was getting 380000 a year, you know i think i think <laughs> mm. i think i 'd be paying my own
3: i 'd say Donald yeah. Trump would be looking at that endlessly <laughs> wouldn 't he
2: he probably would mm. but I think in fairness, it 's not a witch hunt of Delaney, and it can 't be, and uh, but all the questions will be asked fairly, robustly, frankly, and obviously you know, we want the answers, um, but clearly they'll have, he'll have to give his explanation.
3: And I suppose you can't blame John Delaney if he has unbelievably good terms and conditions, Uh, but the question is how does he have them, and is he approving these terms and conditions for himself?
2: Yeah, but one of the big questions is you know, what other expenses does he have? Mm. You know, how is, see these are all what we call governance issues, it's how the governor or meet all these points, and that's why Sports Ireland will tell us what they have Have they done due diligence on all of these things? Because uh, we want the money. Obviously, the government money is aimed at young people, uh, at at young children, and getting more people involved in their local clubs. I'm getting letters from people uh, all over the country at the moment. Emails, you know, fellows and families, and who watch. Uh, the sport regularly mm. who go to pay they're the, they're the guys who pay the way into the matches yeah. support the League of Ireland mm. uh, and, and you know they don't want to be on the sideline of this they're very clear that they want change mm. and obviously and they want
3: better facilities they want they better want, facilities they have they, a long yes, yeah. wish yeah. list uh, but there's uh, no wanting at uh, the top level
2: Absolutely, and I, I used to work as you know, teach across the mm. road here, and we had Gary Kelly, we, we had Nicky Colgan, we had mm. Ian Hart in that school in St. Mm. Oliver's, and it was, like, it, to see those guys do so well in their sport. Mm. And,
3: and, and they did so well, men. but the they Irish team... They did extremely well. They, they did well, the, the, the Irish uh, yeah. team hasn't done well for years, has yeah, it? Yeah, but, but, I mean, on, <laughs> on the wall in St. <laughs> Oliver's, were photographs, were sure. their names? But for one of the
2: highest uh, paid teams... that's t- what every child, um, that's what every child, every every student, uh, you know, wants to be under mm. Irish. But for one of the highest-paid
3: executives in the country, I mean, you do have to ask... What's the money for? Well, if well, the, the national question. team and, isn't and succeeding. And
2: the, the other thing we have to ask about is is the way is the way they're going to build up the organisation, what strategies they have, you know, to get the Gary Kellys and the mm. Ian Harts out of all the other schools and young people in our country, uh, and, and the Nicky Coggins. That's what it's all about. It's all about mm. making a better, you know, that people can aspire to be the very best or to be the best they can be, and and all of those people. Um, and I mentioned Dave Coggan, Lord of Mercer in the past because people had him, he gave his whole life to soccer. town, his whole life, and uh, uh, he dedicated his life. And people knew that, and that's what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with people's total family and personal commitment. That it must be, you know, it must be fruitful, and they want to see whatever money is going in there getting to the places it needs to be on the ground, or through the grassroots, better facilities, better campuses, mm. better, better, better success nationally and internationally.
3: So, why is that not happening?
2: That they're the questions, Michael. Mm. They're the questions we'll have, mm. and obviously uh, Imelda Monster will be one of the people who will be asking questions. We have Catherine Murphy and there's Robert Tribe, and uh, there's uh, you wouldn't mm. know all the people there, but we have a very. Good committee. Uh, it'll be very focused, mm. and I believe it'll be. It's a key moment now for yeah. Ireland and sport that we see as a committee. Mm. We get all the. But I mean, you say it's not a, a hunt, it, you have, it's not a witch you, you hunt, but you have you have come to a, a judgment
3: of sorts already well, we in that. accountability. Yeah. It, it, yeah.
2: It's accountability. It's it's uh, like it's. You know, we need to know the truth. Mm. And the truth, but you're saying
3: on one hand there's failings, and, and there, on the, are, and yeah. on the other hand you're saying money is being squandered uh, on executive pay.
2: Well, what I'm saying is, you know, has Sports Ireland raised this issue when they give the 2.7 million? You know what? What are their conditions? Mm. Uh, you know, and that should be one of them. Uh, clearly, it should be one of them. And I mean, uh, or to have knowledge—do they have knowledge of everything? That's that's an important question. So when we know what. They've been told, and we've written to them. Uh, we've written also to the FEI last Thursday. Uh, we'd be yeah. seeking the responses that Sports yeah. Ireland mm-hmm. got from the FEI regarding the and this bridging
3: 000. loan, of course. Uh, all of this issue. What's all that of this about? Issue,
2: what, we, we don't know. But you we don't find know. Out. No idea, really. Have you?
3: Well, hmm. I don't think anybody yeah. knows. Can you? Um, can, can, you I, uh, can you imagine? Why it was necessary? Well,
2: well, if I, if I, in the goodness of my heart, give a bridging loan Mm. of a hundred thousand to somebody, I wouldn't spend money going to the high court to stop Radio LMF from from that being known. So I just don't understand that. And you wouldn't step down,
3: would you, or move sideways, or whatever? Well, these
2: are these are the questions, you know. These are the Mm. questions we have to get answers to, and I've no doubt we will get them, Mm. and we'll have to make sure we get them. That's. That's what it's all about, Michael. Mm. We should have you in there, maybe.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, have every, I'm sure I think we listen, should have <laughs> I, I'm sure our listeners have every confidence in uh, the, co- <laughs> the committee and yourself as chair sure to get to the bottom of it, uh, and we look forward to hearing more. Uh, let's uh, reflect uh, again, if sure. we can, uh, on uh, the weekend. Uh, sure. It was a good conference, I think, for Finnegan. was it?
2: Well, it was. I thought it was a very good conference. Hmm. I was... My part in the conference was on the Northern Ireland. I spent all my time on that, and after that, I was working on the Delaney issue. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't actually, I didn't get all the time I should have had doing other things as well. But I think the key point was we're facing a, a local and European elections. Mm in May, and obviously uh, candidates were able to make their And what's that case. the
3: purpose, do you think, of uh, the Taoiseach's swipe at the other two main parties? Well, Féin, I think every every
2: leadership uh, every leadership speech, they always have something to but, say. But, but,
3: but was he thinking of the local elections, do you think, and the European elections, or was he looking at the next general well, election? I,
2: well, I think he was talking, telling the facts, you know. Mm. but I mean, I, if, it would have been strange if he did make some comment, mm. you know, and I think people expected a comment, but I think the key point he's saying is that, you know, the country is in a much better place. Unemployment mm. is significantly reduced. There are more people working than ever before. Mm. And regardless of all our problems, including housing and health, mm. the country is in a much better place and that that Fine Gael has tried, trusted uh, and and we believe you know we will will hopefully uh, succeed in getting our people elected in in the European and local elections next
3: Mm. Next month, and possibly or. the general election, because if this Brexit yep. issue is sorted out in the next couple of weeks, or at least it, it may be postponed for yep. some time in well, the next think, couple yeah. of weeks, uh, I think a lot of people uh, won't be overly surprised if uh, the Taoiseach is up in the park.
2: Well, I think the first thing is that, that the Taoiseach offered Fianna Fail a general election in twenty or after or in summer twenty twenty. Uh, and Fianna Fáil said no, they didn't want that stability for that length of time, uh, but they did say they would wait until Brexit, there was clarity on Brexit, and then they would work towards passing a budget. So mm. the so so the reason why you have th- those questions in your mind is because mm. Fianna Fáil were not prepared to wait till till next year uh, to have an election. So in fact, what they're saying, and we don't know when the election will be, but our intention is not to cause it our intention is mm. to make sure that Brexit I, I, it's, and it, it won't be over no matter what happens mm. I think this time next year we'll still be debating the issues and trying to make sure the impact of whatever it's going to be mm. Is is as little and as negative as possible. Obviously. Okay,
3: but when do you think the next election will be?
2: When do I think? I think obviously clearly it'll be in the next year. I've no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, but, right,
3: it'll, it'll be in know. the next lifetime, <laughs> will it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for an Michael. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, you're, you're obviously not going to say. Uh, but we will leave it there for the moment, and thank, thank, you, very thank you very much indeed for coming into much. this thank morning, Ltd, for Louth Ferguson out.
5: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM.
3: Now, the Bids Development Committee in Drogheda is in front of loud councillors today to ask that a bid scheme be introduced for the town. We'll hear why now, because Joe Stafford, who's a spokesperson for the committee, joins us together with John Shanahan. You're both very welcome to the studio. Thanks for coming in to us this morning. And perhaps, Joe, you'd begin by reminding our listeners what a bid scheme is
10: a bid scheme is a business uh, development scheme within a fixed area in a map which is normally run by a formalised company. Um, the map is designated and it's run in conjunction with the council. It's already put in a plebiscite uh, and the whole idea of uh, the bids are, um, is... When a bid is formed, it is a supplementary uh, payment by a group of ratepayers mm. to... These are the local businesses. Local businesses mm-hmm. that ultimately uh, decide together to put a levy on themselves. Mm. So they, they're, to,
3: they're, they're choosing to increase they're choosing how much decrease, they pay in exactly. rates. My yes. God, why on earth would anybody do that?
10: The ultimate <laughs> reason is um, business people have Savvy, that they need to increase and to develop a town. Drauda has, uh, over a number of years, lacked it investment. So, ratepayers are business people who have Savvy that really want to
3: enhance the area for both business and for social. Okay. Uh, nobody likes paying taxes, and uh, effectively, that's what you're asking business people to do: is to pay more in taxes. Uh, John Sheridan, as I say, is here. Uh, can you convince uh, people listening to us, business owners today, let alone the councillors, that this is a good idea?
11: Well, of course. Thanks, Michael, for asking because that's exactly uh, the right question to ask. Um, let's take a, the example of a local business who decides to set up in the M1 retail park or any of the suburban uh, business parks around town. Uh, When they do that, they avail of a whole range of services that they pay for every month in their rents. They avail of parking, they avail of, of cleaning, they avail of security, they avail of lighting, mm. they avail of, of, avail of joint marketing efforts. That's all what their rates things. are for, yeah? No, 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 mm. no. That's mm. not what their rates are okay. for. They're paying mm. rent to the to the business park owner, and all of those things are included in their rents, and then they pay rates, of course, along with it. Mm. But why do they pay the, the, a higher rent than, say, they might on a per square footage basis on West Street? They pay the, They pay that higher rent for all of the things that, that local traders on on West Street, on Shop Street, and all the rest of them in the, main, in the downtown area don't get. Mm. And they don't get it because there's no local association to do any of those things. And so what we have now is a situation where we have no local council here in draw it up next to the Local Government Reorganization Act. All, everything's been moved to Dundalk. Happy days that they're mm-hmm. up there. Dundalk has a bid, and Dundalk's bid is working away. But the traders here in Drolita don't have anything to do to, to joint marketing, to do any kind of enhanced security, to do any kind of downtown cleanup, Christmas lights, the whole lot. All of those things take money, and they take a bit of organization. And that's what the bid, the, the small rate surcharge is going to do. And I say small deliberately because the average rate payer is only going to see about 100 euros a year. A hundred euros a year added to their rate bill. Uh, more than three quarters, eighty percent, in fact, are going to see less than three hundred. Uh, so it's really a small add-on mm. for value. For really, really, for value for for uh, Which for business. It's
3: about two to six euro a week. Exactly that sort of thing. And is it? and a a way of leveling the playing field
11: it not only levels the playing field it does something that's long overdue here in drada and that's regeneration Mm. we have talked and talked and talked and i think you know full well Mm. and your listeners know that we've had meeting after meeting in the west court hotel we've had promises after promises Mm. and all the people now responsible for delivery are not in Drogheda. Our local counselors have to go up to Dundalk and play Mother May I. And, and in my 12 years here in Drogheda, said the fellow with the Yank voice, in my 12 years here in Drogheda, uh, we, I've wow. been to I've been to countless meetings, heard lots of promises, seen big plans, and not a what do you think has been delivered
3: alright uh, last time uh, we were speaking with uh, committee members Joe where we were talking about the success of uh, the FLA Keola and that by uh, attracting uh, events or people to the town you can generate more business and that was a, a prime example of uh, a good way of doing absolutely. it absolutely and out of the FLA really that, that led the bids really to get a push forward
10: because we feel time is right ultimately the FLA is leaving us next year there's going to be a void left Business people realise that Drawden needs something to bring it forward and bring it forward with with a bit more passion, a bit more dynamic things. And we need to get people that are moving into the area to associate with the area. Bids will create that because there's other strands of bids like the purple uh, purple Mm. flag, uh, putting in more tourism. All of these things can be added in micro hubs for people that ultimately may not have to travel to Dublin. And can actually walk from a small office in the centre of town, leading to a better family life. That may be only one day a week, but it'll actually save maybe somebody five, six hours of a, of a day travelling. Mm. Them type of things will actually bring the town on, and will bring people more into town. Obviously, from a business point of view, I'm in retail, but there's other people, there's other small industries that can be created. Retail's not just not that. We are have an idea centre we have all these type of things but we need to bring them on we need to bring mm. them up we need to bring the M1 retail parks more people into them it's not just the centre of town that's suffering it's actually draw the suffering and the actual love draw the logo which the bids committee have decided mm. as the icon to use it's very very powerful because the love has been gone out of draw the. we now need to bring love into draw the. Mm. and together again as a ratepayer I have very little power as one voice. But when you have 1,500 voices in a bids committee, because ultimately that's what you are creating, you have a powerful organisation. I
3: I, I suppose the question I was asking at the outset was uh, about ratepayers, and if uh, they don't like paying their rates, uh, why do turkeys vote for Christmas? But actually, I I think uh, I've been speaking to a lot of people who are feeling very enthusiastic about this, and I'm sure you've been hearing uh, similar soundings as well, but uh, this requires more than enthusiasm. It requires solid support and there'll be a referendum of sorts, a plebiscite. There'll be a, a uh, vote if, on this if, and if, you if need the majority yes. majority of traders to yes. sign up to it. Yes.
10: There is. A the plebiscite is, is, is the only fair way of doing it. There should be people that actually would be worried about spending money. Everybody's worried about spending mm. money. But if you see the positivity of it, all of a sudden you actually feel you are getting something back. Mm. Like Christmas lights, at the moment, uh, has poor Christmas lighting. Mm. The bids... Not
3: everybody contributes to the Christmas Not
10: everybody, and and unfortunately that is the Mm. problem with it. Mm. But if you actually create the bids system, Mm. everybody is now paying into the pot all of a sudden you can actually structure things.
3: Right, some people mightn't like this, John, Uh, and let's talk a a little bit about this because the Christmas lights probably is a a good example of how traders in the town contribute to the upkeep of uh, the town and it tends to be the bigger traders who don't contribute to things like the Christmas lights, uh, smaller shops uh, and so on are, are, are paying over for them uh, to be put up and to make the town look better, for people to feel like they want to go into town and then end up shopping and uh, the bigger shops end up benefiting from that anyway. But if a majority of one is it, votes in favour of 50% it. 50% plus one. 50% plus one. Uh, if it, uh, that majority holds up uh, well then the bigger shops everybody will be bought, brought into this and this levy of three and a half percent will be applied to all ratepayers that
11: 's absolutely right Michael uh, it's important that we get the message across about what the value for money looks like and, and many of your listeners would have traveled let me just use an example would have traveled to New York and the ladies on the ladies on the radio would, would love to tell you about the wonderful time they had shopping at Macy 's mm. well let me tell you something as a former New York City commissioner and a New York native I know New York well and I know what the I know what uh, many parts of of New York looked like before New York started with bids some 20, 25 years ago. If you've been to Times Square, if you've been to the, the Grand Central Station area and many of the fine neighborhoods in New York, those didn't exist in the current condition that they're in today until the bids movement came in in the mid-90s in New York, and we saw it fly off. And today, you can walk down the street in Times Square, you can go to the shows, mm-hmm. you can stay in the hotels, eat in the restaurants, as many of our good to folks love to do, and they enjoy a safe, clean lovely environment all thanks to the Times Square Business Improvement District. Mm. And the examples is this, 74 business improvement districts in the city of New York alone. And when we understand how that works and works so well in the United States, in England, in Canada, and a number of other places throughout Europe, when you understand how that works, you'd say, "Well, why we, why didn't we do this yeah. before? This is a great idea." And indeed it really is.
3: And the Macy's of New York contribute to the bid scheme, meaning Absolutely. that the small hardware shop, if you like, benefits uh, from the money that goes into improving the oh, town. Oh, the
11: man's got it! <laughs> <All right>.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope that's clear to everybody. You'll be making uh, your case today with the councillors. Then what?
11: Well, then we begin with the process of the plebiscite. We begin. First of all, talking to all—is that
3: the hinging on approval from the councillors? Yes, right. We okay. have, to have to,
11: the council has to say go. That's okay, the, 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 that's the statute. My former, you seem bit,
3: confident that will happen. No, I think I think okay, we have. Yeah. It's,
11: it requires 16 votes, and I think yeah. they're uh, they're coming our way. And okay. they, it's just a pr- process of educating the councillors. And you know, happy days—they've got uh, the Dundalk bid to look to. So mm. we, this is not a new idea. Mm. Uh, and so now we have to, think, and
3: people can vote against it if they, if wish, they wish. Of course, sure. yeah. it's a free, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a free yeah, country, yeah, as the man says. Yeah, yeah So this is the rubber. To vote.
11: Well it's not to rate it's it's to take the council vote mm. and then to move it to the to the to the traders, mm. to the to the ratepayers. We have to ask permission from the ratepayers to create this organization. And then once we get that permission, we have to set up a, a company limited by guarantee mm-hmm. and eighty percent of the board will be drawn from the traders who act who who vote for it. So when we get people who come in and vote, most eighty percent of that board mm. is gonna be people who who actually Going to be serving on the, uh, serving as local traders here in the community.
3: Okay, well, I I know that uh, a lot of people have put their personal time into this, uh, and uh, there's a lot of work gone into it. Uh, and thanks for telling us uh, about it. Uh, it's been a long road, another big step for you today. And uh, thanks, as I say, for coming in to Thanks,
11: delighted to Thank be with you,
3: Joe Stafford and John Shanahan of uh, the Drahoada Bid Development Committee. Michael,
5: Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
3: FM. Now, there's been a, a slight increase in. Uh, uh, the value of land uh, nationally uh, let's talk uh, about land prices uh, across the country and indeed uh, locally with Anthony Jordan property editor of uh, the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning to you Anthony and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, I'm sure regular readers of uh, the journal have been looking at your land price report with great interest. Uh, tell us a little bit more if you would.
0: Yeah hi Michael so, so thanks, first of all thanks for having me on I suppose I suppose every year we do the, the land price report in the Farmers Journal and what what I suppose we aim to do is give a general gist of what's going on in terms of prices and different trends across the country. Um I suppose this year land prices would have been remarkably steady. Um they would have been down but only just slightly, a point two percent in fact. And I think if we look at the, the trend of, of land prices over the last maybe ten years, um prices each year would would, would change between two and ten percent. So the fact that they've changed so slightly will just show how how steady prices are suppose mm-hmm. nationally just to give you a picture prices last year would have been just under 9,100 euro an acre um, but obviously there's major disparity across the country in those prices you'd have Dublin who had the highest prices on uh, 22,000 euro an acre they would have risen by 75% all the way down to, to the west where you would have uh, Leitrim um, at the lowest price on €5,200 an acre.
3: Which is not uh, unusual. Uh, but uh, County Meath has seen a, a relatively significant fall in the value of land. Yes,
0: yeah, so I suppose Mead's land price will be at its lowest point since about 2011. So Mead's land price last year would be just under €10,000 an acre. And I suppose to give context to that, I suppose in the last number of years, Mead's, would, Mead's average would have been just probably over €11,000 an acre. So it is quite a substantial drop the reasons being I suppose there's a number um, it's, it's like a football match you can only play what's in front of you at the land. what is represented in the land market that year is, I suppose is a, as a direct consequence of I suppose what was offered to the market and what we would have seen in need is maybe a, a number of I suppose poorer quality holdings that would have maybe brought the average down a bit um, which I suppose is uh, in, in regards to other years the last maybe three or four years has been some very very good quality sales in need which would have brought the average price up
3: so it's uh, a sort of uh, normalizing of prices is it?
0: Well not really it was a relatively poor year in meat i suppose it is definitely below the average price but oh, i yeah. suppose it's a, a direct consequence of some poorer quality parcels being sold for maybe below the the usual average of meat obviously there's, there's no question that brexit would have had a relative effect um, across the country as well. well and this would have been seen um this would have been seen in kind of suckler and beef dominated areas of meat as well we're okay, um, talking about a, a vacuum of uncertainty that's been created across the country through um, the likes of Brexit and through the likes of um, poor beef prices
3: and, and across uh, this region in particular I'm sure it's true to say uh, County Louth uh, certainly not uh, immune uh, to the impact that Brexit might have but it's a, a different story in Louth where prices have increased by 4.6% and it is now the third most expensive county in the country to buy land in
0: there's a number of, of factors that, con- or a number of traditional um, um, elements that we see in the la- in the Loud land market. Traditionally, Loud, are always in the top three in terms of prices. And traditionally, Loud is always the lowest supply in Ireland. Um, and that's no different this year. Loud has always been the bottom three to four counties where supply will be at its lowest point, and that's uh, very, very similar this year. Um, loud, I think, only offered um, about o- over 600 acres to the market, and we've recorded it. Um, which kind of just shows how tight supply is in the county. Subsequently, um, the elements and the factors and demand and supply would, would suggest that these are why the prices are so high. Also, you've got to take into account that the quality of land in now and some parts of loud is absolutely superb. Um, and therefore, they would contribute to some really, really strong prices in the county.
3: All right. Uh, the prices are obviously asking prices, uh, but not everybody is successful in selling their land.
0: No, no. I mean, look, at, there, there are so many different factors that affect the land market um, across Ireland. I suppose if you go into uh, an auctioneer, the first thing they'll ask you is who who is your neighbour. If you've got a neighbour who's interested in your land, it might sell. If you have two, you might get a good price. If you've got three, that would dictate that you might get a very good price. But if you've nobody at all it might sell. Um, I suppose as well the fact is that uh, land the land market doesn't obey rational economics all the time. Um sometimes what people pay for land mightn't be financially justifiable but they buy it because they might have seen that piece of land come up for sale. Um, and they might have it up for the last twenty years, and they've saved up for it over time. And just because there might be a poor reef price, or hmm. um, just because Brexit's on the horizon, won't want them, or might not deter them in buying it. They might just want it because it's, it's there for them. But there's loads of different reasons why land won't sell. Expectation is another. People believe the landmark, or their their land is should uh, get more than it is getting. Um, they might keep it on the market, um, even though it mightn't be, um, it mightn't be, or it might be completely unrealistic. You've other things like are people get yeah, to get finance? You've got the age demographic of farmers, right. the young farmers in an area. So there's a whole host of uh, various reasons why land doesn't doesn't sell in Ireland.
3: Okay, and when people are looking for finance, uh, I gather they're hoping to buy the land in the hope of working the land. But is that always the case, or is land being bought as an investment?
0: Well, there are a number of, of, I suppose, ways to answer this question. The first one, the first thing is that a lot of the land in Ireland that would be bought, especially by beef farmers, dairy farmers, they might be bought by the, with the proceeds of, of farming money. Sometimes there's a lot of, I mean, of, of the beef farmers that buy land. I'd say about you'd be talking between eighty and ninety percent of them would be part-time farmers that would have off, off farm income um, that would be supplementing it. Um, I suppose definitely in suckler and beef-dominated regions of Ireland across the west. And um, three hundred thousand euro would al- always be seen as a, a price point where where it would fall off where price where where some land sales would fall off i 'll give you an example in Mayo there might have been maybe over fifty or sixty land sales last year, and maybe only three of them would have been over three hundred thousand euro mm. and What does that tell us? It tells us that a lot of the a lot of the um farms that are being bought or are kind of being bought with savings and they may not need finance from banks. And if they do need finance, it's only a small amount. So banks are definitely wary of of, of kind of overstretching when it comes to and um, beef farmers. It's slightly different for dairy because maybe dairy can justify it a bit. And then when you're talking about the business buyer, they've obviously got the cash reserves to to buy land. Um, so finance is always going to be a tricky thing when it comes to the land market because, as I said, sometimes it might justify what you pay for the land.
3: And I I take it uh, that Cork has uh, proven to have some of uh, the most valuable land with uh, a farm there recorded by yourselves in the journal as having sold for 58,000 euro an acre.
0: Yeah, I mean, like some parts of North Cork, I mean, they're, they're, as I said, if you have two or three farmers that are are willing to invest in, in a piece of ground, it makes good money. Um, and how much money it makes depends on, I suppose, how far the farmers are willing to go, but also the financial capabilities of the farmer. That particular farm um, was bought by a company in the west of Ireland, um, and that was that that had two or three really, really strong bidders involved. But the parts of North Cork around Bandon and around Fermoy, I mean, they have seen some really, really strong prices. Um, because you've got dairy farmers there who are really really keen to buy it and obviously if it's good quality land people really take their heels in and go for it um especially as i said if there's a fin- financial muscle but then you've got other little hot spots in ireland that are doing very very well the likes of north Wexford. um you've some really top quality tillage ground there that will will really sell well you've parts of loud you've parts of kildare um there are parts of dublin as well but i mean dublin has been dominated by the speculator this year um They've had their highest prices in the county since 2014. Um, so, like, you know, they, that's, that's uh, I mean, that that they've really taken off this year, the, the Dublin market.
3: Okay, interesting stuff. Anthony, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Anthony Jordan, property editor of the Irish Farmers Journal, brings our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.